transitioning out from Denver, getting ready to move out here. And um, the staff at the church that I was working at put together a little going away party. So we got together, they shared some gifts and we shared words. It was really, really sweet. It was a really special time. But one of the members of our staff was a lady named Shanna. And this woman was one of the most thoughtful and intentional people I've ever met in my life. Have you, do you guys know anybody that's like super, super thoughtful, right? That's just really, really intentional. She was one of those people who if someone's in the hospital, she would like give them a gift bag, but she would know what their favorite flower was and their favorite color was and their favorite candy was and like know the name of their her pets or whatever. And then she would give them a bag or she would come over to Katie and I's house for dinner and like give us a little gift bag for coming over. I don't even know what that is, but um, bring flowers to Katie because she's ho- we're hosting them. I mean, just super intentional person, very thoughtful. Well, a few weeks before that little get together, I was sharing with the staff just some of the things that I would miss uh, in Denver. And, and one of the things I mentioned was our, my morning routine on Sunday mornings because I would park across the street from the church because we were downtown Denver. And so we had to use a different parking lot. We didn't have a parking lot. And, uh, and then I would park and I would cross the street early in the morning and there was this tree, this little tree, not, not a whole lot of trees downtown. There was this little tree right there by the church and I would look through the tree and see the sun rising over the building. And I would always just stop right there and just kind of touch the leaves as I went by and just thank God for the day. It was just a, just a very simple thing, but I just loved it. It was always a little special moment to get started with the day. And I remember sharing that with a couple of people. Well, weeks later, back to the party, um, they're sharing different gifts and stuff, and they give me a picture, one of those pictures that has like the border around it where people sign and write little notes and stuff. Well, the picture was taken through the tree looking at the sunrise over the building. And when I opened that up, I just, I mean, it just hit me. Like I got super emotional. I was like, oh my gosh, wow. So incredibly thoughtful. Uh, and meaningful, and that someone would pay that much attention to detail and be attentive and intentional in the way even that they give a picture to somebody. And so, uh, and I know that's true when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, that there, when we choose to be intentional and thoughtful and attentive, and we live on purpose, especially with our thoughts, Uh, then we can see God do incredible things in our lives and transform us in powerful, powerful, powerful ways. So the title of the message this morning is The Thoughts That Count. The Thoughts That 
count. So we're going to continue in our series this morning, Axis. We've been talking about Jesus at the center, that he is that invisible line from which our entire life revolves around, that we were called to orient our lives around a living relationship with a living God, that we, need, that we are to be fully alive and fully devoted in our relationship with Jesus. And then as we develop that solitude with God, that leaks out onto our community around us. And so, like I said, fully known and fully loved by God, then we have the courage to be fully known and fully loved in an authentic relationship. And then from there, we have the courage to go out and to love the world. So solitude to community to ministry and that order, we see that fluid order in Jesus's life. And so we are diving into that relationship, that solitude with the Lord. And our base text is in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important? Verse 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So last week we talked about loving God with all of our heart, with our emotions, worship without restraint, honesty and vulnerability without restraint, inviting God into our feelings, owning the things that we feel, and then inviting him into those places to be Lord, and then surrendering those feelings and those emotions to him. Well, this week we're going to dive into loving God with all of our mind. Loving God with the mind. The word mind there is dianoia in the Greek. And it says that which is responsible for one's thoughts and feelings, especially the seat of the faculty of reason. And so we talked about feelings last week with the heart. And so this is our thought life, the, our own inner monologue and dialogue that we have. And how many of you guys know everything begins in the mind? Right, it all starts there. It starts in our thought life. Now, it is interesting though that there are times where our heart is ahead of our head. Ahead of ahead of our head? That's true though. But our heart gets ahead, meaning we feel something before we're conscious of it. Have you guys had that happen before? Where you don't know but you're you're feeling something? So there's that too. But but things start in the mind, our disciplines, our lifestyle, our worldview, meaning what is real to us, starts with a conscious decision in the mind. Um, and so in order to love someone with all of our mind, we have to be intentional. Just like Shanna was, thoughtful, intentional, attentive to the life of our mind. Because our mind is all over the place. How many of you guys know? We have, you can have like a million thoughts in two seconds. Have you ever had that where something happens and you play out an entire scenario of this terrible thing that's happening in like a half second? And then it, you realize it's, it's not terrible, it's not bad, but your mind can just zoo, fill out this huge experience in like a half a second. And, our, and there's so many things in our world that are divvying for our, uh, vying for our attention. They're trying to grab our thought life. The enemy wants to win the battle in our minds. He wants our thoughts to be focused on ourselves and on other things. And so we have to be intentional. Ephesians chapter 5, 
verse 15 through 17 in the Amplified says this, Therefore, see that you walk carefully, living life with honor, purpose, and courage, shunning those who tolerate and enable evil, not as the unwise, but as wise, sensible, intelligent, discerning people, making the very most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Therefore, do not be foolish and thoughtless, but understand and firmly grasp what the will of the Lord is. So very, very thoughtful, intentional, careful in the way we, which are, we live our lives. Because, again, there are so many messages that are being preached in our culture. How many of you guys know that? There's messages preached through the media. There's messages preached through um, music. There's messages preached through books. Messages preached through politics. Messages preached all over the place. There's so many different messages and different truths that are being presented to us day in and day out. And again, they're trying to grab our attention. And so God asks us to be attentive and intentional to set our minds on him, to set them on him. Because if we just go with the flow and just go wherever life takes us, the flow of our culture and the flow of our world is not going to good places. <laughs> if we just jump in that river and let it just kind of carry us and inform what we think about and how we make our decisions, it's going to carry us to destructive patterns in our life. And so we have to swim against the social undercurrent of compromise. We have to, we have to swim against that current and be intentional to set our minds on God. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So that word stayed in the Hebrew means to put something in a resting position set as for support or steadying perhaps with the implication of leaning over on something for support. So it's like this. It's leaning on to something. He's saying, have your mind stayed on me, leaning on God for support in our minds. So how do we do that? How do we lean into God with our thought life and with our minds? I look back to David again. Again, David was the example, right? Man after God's own heart, aligned with the heart of God. Right? And it's funny that we use David as our example because he had some really bad things that he did in his life. But God even spoke of him as a man after his own heart. Let's look at what David does in Psalms 23. You guys know this one, verse 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. 
Well, how do we lean into God with our minds? We think about him and all of his goodness. Look at what David said constantly. He, 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 you, you, your, your, him, him. He was always talking and thinking about the Lord. He was looking for evidence in nature around him that would point his mind back to God and back to worship and back to submission to him. And so he would talk about the mountains and the grass and the trees and the rivers because it would remind him of God and it would guide his mind back on a path that was set upon him. And so we think about him and his goodness and look for the evidences of God in our life so that our mind is back and stayed on him. And then in Psalms 1, 1 through 3, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So this is all talking about the way of the world, right? Their thought patterns are the way people who don't know Christ think and and pattern their lives. He says, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in their way, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So how do we lean in? So we think about God. We look for those signs in the world around us to point us back to thinking about him. But also, we need to keep our mind in a clean air environment. Right? The air out there in the world in which we live is polluted with, like I said, all sorts of lies and deception and false truths and messages. And so we have to keep our mind in a clean air environment. Well, what is that? It's the Word of God. We have to meditate, as David did, on God's Word. That word meditate means to mull over, to think about, to contemplate, to over and over, to study even. In our minds, we meditate on the word of God, and this is surrendering the life of our minds to God. This is what this looks like. We're leaning on him and his truth and his word to be a clean air environment to inform how we should think. Loving God with our minds starts with submitting our thought life to his lordship. He's Lord. He's in charge. David put God's thoughts and his truth above all others, even his own feelings. There were times in some of the Psalms where David would talk about how, man, I just feel like you're crushing me, God, and I feel as though you've abandoned me, and I feel as this and feel that. And there's all these honest emotions that he's sharing with God, and he shares all this, and then he says, but I know that you are faithful. I know I can trust you. And so what is he doing? He's doing what we talked about last week. He's allowing himself to feel. He's being honest with himself about his feelings. He's telling God. He's inviting God into those deep places in his heart. He's telling God how he feels. But then he's submitting his thoughts to God's word and his truth, even above what he might be feeling in that moment. He says, but I know I feel this, but I know this is true. I know I feel like God doesn't love me. I feel like he's abandoned me. I feel like, but I know that's not true. That's a lie. Even though I feel that way and I'm being honest about that feeling, I know the truth and I know his word. And so he comes back submitting to God's word and his truth. 
So we lean in to God with our minds. We think about him, look for those signs in the world around us. We meditate on the word of God. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our minds needs renewing according to God's will and his word. So when we are tempted to think according to the flesh or according to the world, then we, we acknowledge that, we notice it, and then we submit our thoughts to God. So again, if we have these feelings, we're, we're honest with our feelings, we tell God about how we feel, but then we should ask ourselves a question. Is there a lie that I'm believing? Somewhere, anywhere, and it could be small, it could be subtle, because the enemy's smart. He's not an idiot. He knows how to get us and push our buttons. Am I believing a lie somewhere? Am I believing a lie? Because ultimately it comes down to that in our walk with Jesus, truth versus lies. I'm fully convinced if we truly believed everything that God said, if we completely submitted to his truth in every area of our lives, we would never sin. But the problem is we live in a fallen world. So there's all these other messages that are vying for our minds. But what, is there a lie somewhere, Lord? Am I believing something that's not true? And that's why I followed this pattern or that's why I did this thing. What is that? So how do we discern what thoughts are of the flesh or of the world and which ones aren't? Because not every thought is like a God-central thought, like washing the dishes. Thank you, Lord. I, I need to wash the dishes today, or thank you, God, I'm doing this laundry, or whatever. You know, not every thought that we have is bad or good. Some thoughts are just thoughts. They're part of our life, right? So how do we discern what is of the flesh or of the world? First John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, or uh, covetousness, like wanting something we don't have, right? And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. Another translation says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So the world offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, wanting something that we don't have, and pride in our achievements and possessions. The craving, we can want something. We, it's okay for us to desire something, like to desire uh, a massage. That would be awesome. Or to desire something that brings physical pleasure, a really good meal. That would be great. You know, it's okay for us to desire things. But craving, what he's talking about craving, is when we're meditating on those things. We're med instead of the word or instead of God's truth, we're meditating and we are wanting and we're focusing our mind. We are craving physical pleasure, things seen and pride in our achievements and possessions. We meditate on these cravings because we're looking for comfort. We're looking for something that we feel as though we don't have. But I don't, be I don't believe the struggle for us as believers starts with like heavy sins in our life. I believe it's a lot more subtle than that. It's simple things where the enemy comes in, like feelings like anxiety, stress, worry, fear. And it's those small little lies 
that he places God's not enough. So you should be worried, or you should be anxious, or you should be afraid. So little bitty things, and it's the cares of this life, the Bible says, that chokes out the word, right? The parable of the sower, God's word falls on the, on the ground with the thorns, and it says the cares of this life, the worries, the anxieties, choke out God's word and don't let it bear fruit. So it's those little things that the enemy just plants, those little bitty seeds in our heart, and then that leads to a pattern of thinking that's of the world. The reason for anxiety and worry is that little lie that we're not being cared for or that we're missing something, that God is not enough. He's not enough. It's the oldest lie in the book. Started in Genesis with a serpent, right? He comes to Adam and Eve, and he says, hey, there's this tree that God's holding back from you. Like the knowledge of good and evil. Man, don't you want this? Man, God's holding back. Because if you have this, then you'll be like him. He's holding back something from you. But they were already, they were already like him. They were made in his image and likeness. But he, he lied. He says, if this is the thing that God's holding back, this is what you need. He's not enough. And that's, that's where it began. The serpent argued that disobedience to God would be liberating, which it was not. It was the opposite. And Tim Keller said this. He said, nevertheless, humanity believes the serpent and that spiritual poison, this lie of the serpent, passed deeply into us with its assertion that God was in fact restrictive self-absorbed and selfish, and that he could not be trusted to have our best interests at heart. If we obeyed him fully, the serpent implied, we would be miserable. And that's the lie. If we obey him fully, then man, you're not going to have fun. If you're obeying God, man, you're going to be miserable. It's going to be boring. And so then we seek comfort from the flesh. And we seek comfort from those three cravings. We seek performance and achievement because we don't realize that God is singing over us and dancing over us and that he's celebrating our life. We seek pleasure, physical pleasure from different things because we don't realize that his presence is enough or we, don't, we believe some lie in there that it's not good enough, it's not fulfilling enough, that he can't heal every part of our heart, that he can't meet every need that's within us. And so we believe this lie from the beginning of the world. And I am guilty. I'm a million times guilty of constantly struggling with this lie in my own life. Believing that I need something else in addition to God. Yeah, I need God, of course. Yeah, I need it. But I also need something, you know, this. I also need a little bit of, a little bit of football in there. You know, which I, I kind of do need a little football. Maybe I should keep working on that. Um, but, like, there's different things in our lives that we feel as though, we need. But when we know God's enough and we're actively leaning into his comfort, we won't seek those things. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink. Because isn't life more than clothing and food and drink? I'm going to care for you if you seek me first. So we start in loving God with our minds, being attentive, meditating on his word and his truth. And then the second thing is we set our minds on Christ's sufficiency. We set our minds 
on Christ's sufficiency. Colossians 3, verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I love that verse. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. That's, I love that. He is life itself. So he says, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on the things of heaven, Christ's sufficiency. We have all of our needs met, right? In heaven, everything, we have everything that we need. Set your mind on things above. Well, what do we know about things above? That's where Christ is, right? So we know he's there, he's present. And then we also know where he is, his glory and his goodness are there. The fullness of his glory and the fullness of his goodness are present with him. John 17, 24, he says, You know, my desire is that these you have given me might be with me where I am and behold my glory. So his glory and his goodness are there. His presence is there. And then Philippians 4, 8, Paul talks about some of the other things, heavenly things to set our minds upon. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we set our minds on the sufficiency of Jesus, but this means we have to take time to think. We have to be attentive and intentional to create space, like we talked about, creating space, be honest with God, and then think about his goodness. Think about his sufficiency intentionally with our minds. So Setting our mind on Christ's sufficiency. What does that mean? What are we thinking about? Number one, we, we need to be attentive to God's presence with us. Be attentive to God's presence with us right now. Here, now, here. The Spirit of God is literally in us in this moment. We create space and we Think intentionally, God, you are here. And I'm submitting my mind to that truth. You are present with me. Just that alone can transform the way we think in our perception of the world. Just think about it. If we were really mindful at all moments that God is present with me right now in this moment, he's here right now in this relationship, at my work, at my home, with whatever I'm doing, God is present with me. It changes our whole worldview. Just being attentive that God is actually, truthfully present in this moment. Being attentive to God's presence with you. Number two, remember God's goodness towards you. So we're setting our mind on his sufficiency. He is with us, and then he is, he, his great love towards us, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, the price that he's paid, the love that he's already given to us, that we think about like David. Lord, thank you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's speaking of all the goodness of God in his life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David is thinking about God's goodness toward him. 
So his presence with him. Number two, his goodness toward him. Number three, think about something pure and good. Anything. Like, like Paul said, something lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. This could be um, a sweet memory. You know, something in your life that was just beautiful. You remember. I, one of the things that I like to think about is my little son Judah laughing. Like when he laughs and he giggles. <laughs> okay, I have to say this. This is probably, probably uh, too much information, TMI. But I'm going to say it anyways. Um, I was giving Judah a bath last night. And he's just so cute. And he, he kept tooting in the water. And every time he did it, he would like belly laugh, like giggle. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then what's funny is when he would laugh, it would cause him to toot again. And so then he would laugh harder. And so he did it like four times in a row. And I was... I, I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. His face was beet red, and he's just sitting in the, and we're just both in the bathroom. Beautiful, wonderful time. So that's a sweet memory. It's a little disturbing and sweet. That I can think, I don't know if that would be admirable. I don't know which category that would, noble, maybe not. Um, but it was, it's a great memory. And so just thinking about a good memory, or maybe it's a place you love. Or something in nature, you know, like, I, like that tree with the sun shining through the leaves. Just something beautiful, something lovely, something good. And thinking about that thing. And then we thank God for those truths. Take time to thank him for it. We thank God that he's present with us in this moment. We thank God for his goodness towards us. And we thank him for that memory or that time or that thing, Right? the proof of his goodness. And so we think, we set our minds on Christ's sufficiency, but again, we have to create space in order to do this. So there's a tool, a really awesome tool that I love. It's an app, actually. It's called the One Minute Pause. One Minute Pause. And so it's by John Eldridge, if you guys are familiar with him. Uh, he wrote Wild at Heart and a bunch of different great books. In fact, one of my favorite books of all time is called Get Your Life Back by John Eldridge. Just throwing that out there. Excellent. Um, but he has this app called the One Minute Pause, and it's literally this. He has one minute, three minute, five minute, ten minute, and it's just these little pauses. There's some instrumental music, and he just walks you through Scripture. He just reads some Scripture, and he just meditate on the Word of God and pray a prayer, and he leads you in it for a few minutes, and it's awesome. And so what's great about it is there's a one minute. And so, like, if you have no time and you get home, make some room for transition just to set. Like, this is something that I like to do. I come home from work, park my car in the garage, and before I walk into my house with five children who are going to attack me, I sit in my car and I do a three-minute pause. Just, okay, yes, give everyone and everything to you, Jesus. Okay, focus on you. You're good. Okay. I'm ready, you know, um, but just creating some space. It's really, really great. So then when we do this, when hardship comes and anxieties start to present themselves in our lives, we can do what Paul describes in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. When in that anxiety or that worry, that stress, the enemy's starting to nab at us and trying to get us to think that way. When that starts coming, verse 6, Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything. Well, that's easy, Paul. Thanks. I just won't worry about anything. 
don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. So I'm going to close with this. But when, when anxiety arises, we start recognizing that stress, that worry starts coming up because if we're setting our mind on his sufficiency, then we can pray first rather than think first. So our, our tendency is to want to think first, and, and we will. Let's, let's be honest. We're not going to just stop and not think. But when something bad happens, what's typically the first response? We think about how we can fix it. Right? Like, okay, what can I do? Like, or, or we're overwhelmed by the feelings or, or something like that. But our mind immediately begins to think about how we can solve the problem or the issue in front of us. And so what happens, though, when we do that is we take ownership of the problem. As soon as we start solving, we're saying, no, God, no, stiff arm to God. I'm gonna, I got to figure this out, God. I got this. I'm going to do it. And God's like, no, no, no. Remember, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. And so, but when we're thinking about Christ's sufficiency, it gives us the ability to, when anxiety arises, to pause. So we start feeling it, and then we pause. Okay, I recognize this. We ponder, think about those things. God is with me. He's good towards me. Think about one of those sweet memories. And then we pray. Pause, ponder, and then pray. Cast our cares upon him. As soon as that anxiety starts welling up, pause, ponder, and pray. And when we do this, we're choosing to set our minds on Christ's sufficiency over our ability. We set our mind on his sufficiency rather than our ability to fix or to solve or to love perfectly, or whatever the situation may be. And when we submit ourselves to his sufficiency, then sure enough, he becomes sufficient. My favorite scripture in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul's talking about the thorn in the flesh, talks to God about it, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, so I'll boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. His sufficiency over our ability. So that's what I believe. That this is just, again, scratching the surface. There's so much to loving God with our minds and, and renewal and, and washing our minds with the water of the word and all these different things. But meditating, being attentive, meditating on the word of God, and then setting our minds on his sufficiency Give us that grace that is needed to overcome some of those really heavy and weighty thoughts of anxiety, worry, and stress in our lives. So this is what I want to do as we close. If you guys could just play a little something. This is what I want us to do. Um, one of the songs today uh, was Here's My Heart, right? That last song that we did in worship. The entire song, as I'm listening, this wasn't the plan for today, but I saw that, I'm like, wow. Every word of that song was this. It was talking about the sufficiency of Jesus, right? He says, here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. 
speak what is true. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to take a moment, create space, and then as we sing, I want us to sing this song, but as we do it, we're thinking about God is with me, his goodness towards me, and then pick one of those memories. Just right now, right now where you are, just close your eyes, and I want you to think about maybe a memory, something like that. It was a sweet memory, a sweet time, something in nature, something beautiful. Just pick something out, and we're going to sing this song together. And as we're singing, just allow your heart to be open to God's truth. He's with you, He's present, His goodness those good and pure things that you've experienced in your life. And then we're just going to thank him. We're just going to thank him for all of those things. So would you, would you just take a moment, just stand with me as we close and we're just taking a moment, stand with me. Uh, Jenny, if you want to lead us in that song again, and uh, let's just take a moment and meditate on his sufficiency.
with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You've been that example to us and you equip us with everything we need, the truth of your word, the sufficiency of Christ, Lord, to love you with our minds, God. Lord, I pray a blessing over my friends today. Lord, as they go into their week, God, give us grace, Lord, to to create space, to set our minds on your sufficiency and on your word. Lord, we love you, we bless you, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, appreciate you guys. Love you guys. Uh, We'll continue our series next week. And looking forward to seeing you then. Have a great week.